0: Welcome to The Lasallian Way Online, a digital series produced by Christian Brothers University's Center for Digital Instruction in Memphis, Tennessee. In each episode, we focus on topics in online education and approach them from the Lasallian tradition. St. John Baptist de La Salle created a culture of student-centered teaching and learning focused on transforming the whole person. We aspire to follow The Lasallian Way Online.
1: Please allow me to introduce to you Dr. Kelvin Thompson. Dr. Thompson is the Executive Director of the University of Central Florida Center for Distributed Learning. Kelvin has been working in the field of online learning for around 20 years. uh, Besides being the Executive Director of the Center for uh, Distributed Learning at UCF, Dr. Thompson and Dr. Tom Cavanaugh co-host a podcast produced from UCF entitled TopCast. Or the teaching online podcast, Kelvin is a great resource for those teaching and leading both online and blended learning modalities. We are excited to have him with us today, Dr. Thompson. Thank you for joining us.
2: Hey, thanks very much for that that gracious uh, introduction, Dale. I appreciate it and happy to be here. Always uh, love engaging in dialogue with with colleagues or around. Uh, a broad topic that I love, which is making online and blended learning even better a little bit every day.
1: Well, I can, I appreciate this. I have tried to speak with others and I run into brick walls. So your willingness to engage in this is really good. I appreciate that.
2: Now I'm thinking maybe I'm not as smart as the other people that you talk to.
1: <laughs> no, you're very smart. <laughs> All right. Today's podcast is one of the series in which we are dealing with a bit of, of a touchy subject, namely the integrity of online teaching.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In a previous episode, we interviewed our vice president of academics, who is also an ethics professor, Dr. Mm-hmm. Paul Hot, on this subject. Now we want to dig just a little bit de- deeper. So, Kelvin, one of the biggest complaints that faculty have regarding online learning is the subject of integrity, or to put it simply, students cheat, especially online. So from your perspective, just how prevalent is cheating online?
2: Well, um, here's how I would like to start in response to that. And it is with something that I have found to be a bit of a truism in my I guess, coming up on 23 years in online and and blended education, that is that the process of uh, designing and teaching online, the instructional design process involved in that, the logistical process involved in that, tends to make the formerly implicit explicit, and it tends to make the formerly invisible visible. Mm -hmm. I have found that to be generally true in a variety of ways related to online education. And you might wonder why I started with that. Um, And it's because, yeah, students cheat. And online, we tend to make the formerly implicit more explicit. The formerly invisible more visible. The second thing I'd like to share with you is um, is a quote from my UCF colleague, Dr. Chuck Jubin. Uh, and Dr. Jubin is, is uh, probably smarter and wiser than I'll ever hope to be, but Chuck likes to say around this topic, why would we expect technology to solve what is fundamentally a failure in ethics. So, you know, to actually ask the question about, to even pose the question as one of what's wrong with online is missing the point probably, right? It, it's fundamentally what's happening in um, the teaching learning context, um, probably uh, related to Culture, but also related to assessment design and, um, and learning activity design and, and the broad instructional design, why would there be a payoff uh, for students to, to cheat? And, you know, the, the general thought there, right, is the more high stakes one makes assessment, um, the more temptation there is uh, yeah. to cheat. And and so, you know, why I, I've talked to lots of colleagues who who think that, you know, they're holding a high bar for quality and rigor by making assessments, high stakes, when honestly what I think a lot of folks end up doing is they, they put temptation in the way of Of students and that's not necessarily helpful so those are just some real broad things so before you know talking about data or anything else I think those concepts have to be wrestled with
1: yeah I agree but still the the question is is cheating more prevalent online than it is in a traditional class
2: I would be hard-pressed to see data that would make that a solid fact. Uh, you will find data that argue all three positions. That is, that there's more cheating face to face, there's an equal amount of cheating face to face online, and there's more cheating online. And you know, you've got to look at the, at the design of those studies. Uh, but whenever I've delved in deeply, it tends to be Kind of like everything else with online education, it's kind of like no significant difference, right? It's it's really more about design than it is about um, modality or or technology. It's really more about uh, how you have constructed the thing that you're uh, that you're dealing with. So, uh, so no, <laughs> so I, I don't I I just don't like even dignifying that question with, uh, with, with much of a, of a straight answer, honestly, uh, because every study I've seen is either suspect or it, it says, well, yeah, there's some evidence that cheating happens online. There's some, there's evidence that cheating happens face to face.
0: Kelvin, I wonder too, how, how much like, uh, learning theory factors into this as well as, as, uh, kind of uh, adjacent to the design of the course. But what I'm thinking is like if if I'm working with a faculty and I have a problem and I don't know the answer, I immediately ask Chantal or Tyler and I'm seen as a as a a good collaborator and a team player, but sometimes I think in our courses that that same kind of process uh is is seen very, very differently. And I'm wondering if it's like does that have to do with the way we are or are not perceiving the value of collaboration or just how human beings learn?
2: Yeah, I think that's that's an excellent, excellent um, point. And yes, I think I think that you're absolutely um, right that our, our assumptions that play into our design and that play into our expectations of our students and of ourselves—that uh, that's core um, to all of this. Uh, the, the point about collaboration is a good one. Um, gosh, I can I can think of so many examples of you know students who don't think they're doing anything wrong, mm-hmm. right? Because they are they're they're conducting themselves in a manner that they would conduct themselves any other in any other setting, right? We're smarter together. We collaborate. We're, you know, uh, why why are we being artificial about this? I had a, uh, a colleague who's now retired who was um, um, kind of our, our dean of student affairs, sort of, um, a number of years ago, and it was under her jurisdiction to deal with... Um, student conduct cases, especially academic misconduct cases. And, and I learned a lot from her. And uh, I, I thought I kind of understood, like being explicit with students, you know, and writing a syllabus and doing course design, and I have not even scratched the surface, you know. I, I learned so much from her about, because she learned the hard way, you've got to be very precise in, in laying out expectations. And we're not just talking about online. We're talking about in general. But again, I'll go back to all online does is it makes the formerly invisible more visible, the formerly implicit more explicit. So it was happening anyway. You've just, you've just, you've just made it more, more, uh, clear. So yeah, the, the collaboration is a good one. The, the high stakes I've already mentioned, like how, how big a deal is this? Um, the, the expectations we have, you know, kind of ontologically and epistemologically about the nature of knowledge, you know, is knowledge um, something that is constructed or co constructed from like a uh, social constructivist kind of a standpoint uh, versus some sort of an objectivist, you know, it's all about getting the right answer on something, mm-hmm. right? And then, and then here's one that isn't tapped a lot. This is maybe less about, um, Learning theory and more about again good assessment design, but it, it it touches on learning theory. What are our expectations of, of the um, sort of the nature of lower order versus higher order thinking skills? If everything is lower order, like rote recall, kind of you know low low um, tier of Bloom's taxonomy, well that lends itself right to um, Memorization, regurgitation, and then if it's if it's high stakes, then it's like okay, I gotta I gotta depend on you know uh, remembering that, and and maybe the temptation then is is um, is out of bounds, you know, to, to go out of bounds. But if if I'm having to synth- synthesize or evaluate, it's a lot tougher to cheat on those things, right? Um, and if one, and that's, that's even in a standard testing environment, right? So, right, and, but here's the thing I've learned. Not a lot of people write really good higher order uh, assessment that's
1: right. items.
2: That's right. But I'll tell you this personally. I've tried this. Um, I, I believe this is a truism. It's certainly been true in my case. I have not tested this widely, but I, I, I sort of... Um, I sort of in, am inclined to think that it's probably generally applicable. That is, the more one introduces higher-order assessment items, the more variability there will be in test scores, because I've seen that play out. If I have like a lower-level um, uh, thinking skills, kind of, a, kind of traditional uh, testing kind of an assessment, and um, if I've got... Really overachievers, or if I've made it all open book, right? Which is a completely legitimate thing to do, you know, like, you know, give some time frame. And I just want to make sure that you're able to be conversant with the subject matter because it's low stakes and all that. You know, there's great consistency in the uh, the test scores. But when I very strategically uh, applied higher order assessment items, Suddenly, I just spread out those scores quite a bit. Fascinating, right? But we don't yeah. we don't talk about that often, do we? We think it's a student problem. No, yeah. it's a it's a teaching and design problem. That's right. right?
1: That's right.
3: I just really love that what you just hit on. I think we we mentioned that one day as a team we were talking about uh, that it. In a way, it can make your grading as the professor much easier if you have something on, lower, uh, on the lower end of blooms. Um, whereas if it's on the higher end of blooms, you might have more work in your grading. <laughs> um, so I, that's a discussion that we'd like to, to talk more about, you know, just get some more ideas around to help support our faculty uh, with ideas about, about creating assessments in that way and taking the and not putting so much of a load on themselves as well
2: yeah well i mean certainly you know when we start talking about um authentic assessment alternative assessments we do tend to think about those kinds of approaches being more higher order right because they're 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 more complex tasks and therefore uh they they lend themselves to things that are more time consuming on the part of the students and then uh as you as you as you intimate, Chantel, the, 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 they might be more involved for a reviewer, an evaluator, uh, the instructor, to take a look at and grade. But that's where rubrics can be really helpful. Like if you can yes. really be um, concrete about your expectations, it's good for the students. I mean, I, I generally am predisposed to encourage sharing with evaluation rubrics in advance. Um, some folks philosophically aren't into that. And, and if you're not, it's, the rubric's still going to help you as a scorer, right? Be consistent, keep yourself honest. But might as well um, share that in advance with students. And, you know, I've had some faculty colleagues through the years who say, well, wait a second. I don't want to do that, right? That, that, that kind of blows the creativity. I don't, I don't want to tell students exactly what I want them to do. I'm like, okay, look, it's all about how you frame it, right? If, if you say, if, you, if you're concerned about telling the student, well, I don't want to tell you to make an apple pie because you're gonna make an apple pie. Then say, I would like you to make a, a dessert that involves fruit, right? I mean, you've got to get you know straight with yourself about what the parameters are, and then, and then codify those parameters in uh, a solid rubric, right? And then that's good for communication of expectations with your students, and it's good for yourself because you can go, you can go right down the list. You can go. Okay, is, is there evidence of this? Yeah, no. okay, okay, this next higher, oh yes, yeah, this is more accurate. This, this level of performance on this criterion. Okay, let's go to the next criterion. This level of performance, you know, ding, ding, ding. Well, can I, do I know it if I see it? Right? And if you don't, then you probably need to revise that rubric. Those are rubrics and, and more complex projects, but you know, even traditional tests, they're harder to write. Those items are harder to write, but they score just fine. Right? I mean, you can make closed ended, multiple choice, higher order thinking skills kinds of assessments. It's an untapped area, and it's because it's hard. <laughs> but, but once you've created them, uh, the, the scoring uh, challenge, Chantel, that you've talked about, is, is kind of off the table then.
0: In my own profession, uh, in my own classroom, what you're saying there just about crafting that's a word that I like to use that crafting a a really good closed ended question takes creativity. It takes time. Uh, you know, it takes intentionality, but you're right. I mean, you know, once those questions are created, you've spent the time, uh, to do it. I I think that that's, that's a a wonderful tool that we, we should use and, and, um, tap into, as you say.
2: Yeah, I mean, now there's challenges, right? If you only make one of those items, that's perhaps a problem. Um, um, right? Because then you're in this, I mean, as you all know, if, if you only have like one form of a, of an assessment, no matter how good the assessment is, especially if it's high stakes, there's again some temptation to cheat. If you were, if you reduce the temptation to cheat by making it lower stakes or making it, uh, like open book, open note, you can still have higher order assessment items that are not about regurgitating oh, page 72 that's where the right answer is apples that's right apples no right it's it's about yeah look at look at page 72 all you want but it's it's going to involve you right. taking what's there and doing some you know some some analysis or some synthesis or some evaluation in order to get the right uh, the right answer but then have a couple of versions of that, <laughs> of, that right, yeah. of that item, right, <laughs> or some variability, you know, some um, you know variable based uh, items or or something, right? Because that just that's just good for everybody, not to just have one form of something.
1: So the deeper we go into online learning, it seems to me that that we're we're going to be on this seesaw between. Respect for online and disrespect because of this this thing of integrity and people's students willingness to to do good work and faculty's willingness to create an avenue for them to uh, to show that they are actually getting that information or, or securing those lessons. So how do we go about. How do we go about. Helping the culture of an institution see that this is, this is an issue, but it can be addressed and should be addressed, and we can make strides in, in producing some level of, of uh, honesty or integrity and in knowing that the, most students taking this test will be submitting their own work.
2: Well, I mean, for my part, I think, you know, rather than, you know, allowing yourself to be tempted to frame the question about um, distrusting online, right, or well, is online as good as, can it be uh, yeah. as good as, or whatever, I think it's, it's instead asking, how can this be the very best that's possible, right? And, and that comes down to intentionality and in design. Uh, we see again and again in the, the literature, research literature, professional practice literature, when design processes are essentially equally deployed uh, in differing modalities, there really is no real, no significant difference between the the outcomes. There's some natural affordances of online. There's some natural affordances of in-person, face-to-face, not to mention blended, um, hybrid courses, but if you design for the affordances, not try to replicate in one modality, sure. something that is an affordance of the other modality, uh, not right. try to play a losing game, right? Nope. But but design for the affordances of one modality. What it does well, you know, the outcomes are going to be pretty darn consistent. I love um, our colleague Shannon Riggs' um, book, Thrive Online. I actually have a copy of it right here. It's a great book. You know. Um, Subtitle is a new approach to building expertise and confidence as an online educator came out 2019 right before the pandemic. Shannon's at Oregon State, great colleague. I wish I had written the book. I mean, she says things so so well. I tell I tell everybody I talk to about it because it's like, yeah, I I haven't found anything I disagree with in there. It's like, yeah, I could have if I was smarter and and could get things done better, I could have written that book. But I'm glad Shannon did, and I'm happy to you know to tell her work because it 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 raises the bar on online. I, I encourage groups of faculty to read together books like this and talk about uh, the ideas about what does it mean to design online well. What are the affordances of online? Um, if you've got if you've got uh, abiding concerns, distrust at, right now. Okay. Let's talk about those. Let's articulate those. And let's, if you're more experienced and like you're past those things, but you just want to get better. Okay. How do you do that? And so yeah. she, she has like four different parts in the book and kind of stair steps her way through those different, um, uh, that kind of that growth, uh, trajectory. I, I really, uh, recommend it a lot. Um, but some of those affordances. What does on, what does good online look like that she addresses, yeah. which I think is great.
1: Because of your endorsement on topcast uh, our library now has a copy of that that is available to all of us.
2: Oh, that's very kind of you. That's very kind of you. Um, yeah, so your listeners should go um, um, uh, race as quickly as possible uh, to the, the library and see who can get there first and check it out, and then uh, others should be knocking on their door, pestering them to finish reading it so that they can, or or go to you know, their favorite bookseller and buy their own copy. You know, whichever, you know, which which whichever, <laughs> whichever. We did that this uh, this last semester. It was, uh, we had about, I don't know, maybe about 10 faculty and instructional designers, and it was a, a wonderful dialogue around that book. And, you know, we're going to do another book in the fall. We haven't done a lot of that um, in, in past years, and I'm looking forward to doing more of it. I think coming out of the remote instruction era, I think we need to talk with each other more about our expectations.
4: I, I really appreciate that you just keep underlying underlying I mean I'm an instructional designer of course I like that word right but just underlining being intentional and I and I think the word thrive is very intentional in the sense that you know I can throw some seed on the ground and things might grow but if I want If I want a garden that's going to thrive that's really going to produce the fruit that I want then I'm really going to have to put some effort into planning and digging and weeding and there's a lot of work into that and it's a lot of front-loading work right and I I, that's why I really like the analogy of garden gardening to teaching online because you've got to do a lot of work do you have any advice as to kind of help faculty kind of get over that hump of I'm doing all. I was doing all this work as I was going, and now you're moving me online. I have to do it all on the front end, and I don't even know if it's going to work. What am I supposed to do? You know.
2: Well, well uh, one, uh, what a great question. That's that's hard. Uh, I'm gonna circle back to that in a second. Two, I, I love um, Tyler. Your your thought about uh, gardening. Um, you know, the I didn't hear you use this word, but like. Cultivation, right? Cultivating is is intentional, deliberate, time-consuming, and um, and I, I love you know kind of you you framed out that the payoff comes later, right? I still remember when I was maybe a maybe like a junior high student, and I was visiting a friend at his house, and they had like a little some kind of a young tree they had planted in their backyard. I'm like you know, and had like kind of the little wires or strings or something tied down, you know, holding it, holding it up. And I'm like, what's this? He said, well, that's a, that's a pear tree. Doesn't look like a pear tree. Well, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna take a while. Uh, okay. How long? He said, well, you know, they told us, uh, you know, be like three or four years and it'll produce pears. I said, "I, I was just like, what? <laughs> you know, I, I, and so as a junior high, you know, teenager, I was, I was not interested in waiting around for three years to, for the possibility of getting pears, right? But, you know, uh, farmers and, uh, of all sorts through the ages have, have learned patience. Um, so I think you're, you're wise to employ that, that metaphor, Tyler. Um, I, I think maybe Shannon Riggs, I think maybe hits on, maybe I'm dreaming it, but I think she hits on some of these, um, notes in her, um, uh, book a little bit. Or maybe it just came up in our discussion of her book in, in this past semester. But I think it's about setting yourself realistic, shorter term goals with, uh, realistic, shorter term, uh, outcomes or results, right? It's like start where you are. And kind of what like what's the next thing like you know we all get this in terms of like personal health and fitness you wouldn't say okay i'm whatever i'm 10 pounds overweight or i can't fit into this article of clothing you know we we certainly get the rationality of saying oh my goal is i want to see this number on the scale or i want to fit into this article of clothing but where we kind of lose sight of things sometimes is What's the time frame that's realistic right and and sometimes, if the goal is too grand initially, then you have to break that down into into some intermediate goals and so I think the same thing applies here if you're starting off and you're like well i can't I can't make the world's best online course starting out i can't I can't do that well, what can you do right um you Look at, you take a realistic assessment of where you are, hopefully with a trusted colleague, uh, maybe with an instructional designer, because boy, that would be a, a great resource. Because uh, you get, to, you get outside your own head. It's like, you know, I don't want to have those kind of conversations in my own head about my own personal health and fitness. I'd be better off talking to a dietitian or to a personal trainer or something. So such a person can help you, but you look realistically at where you are today and you go, well, what would be what would be realistic this semester for me to do? And I've done that, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to work on my online discussions this term, or I'm going to work on uh, one term. I, I consulted with a colleague who was in our writing center. He's a faculty member, also working in our writing center. And I wanted my graduate students to do a better job of reading and synthesizing research literature and so I was t- I was talking to him about that and uh he he was sort of he helped me think about like an iterative writing reading and writing process that we used in an online course in the online discussion areas where I gave four opportunities during the semester four different times where they were such and they only had to do three and I picked one in order to um actually score but I encouraged a lot of um uh of try it, you know, multiple times and learn from each other. I picked each time one uh, person's writing sample to hold up and give a really detailed analysis of. And so he, I I didn't know how to do that. He taught me how to do all that. And so I I took one entire term just to implement these things that he suggested to me as a writing expert. And, And suddenly I had graduate students who were more engaged with research literature and writing about research literature and analyzing it than I had ever had before, you know? So having an outside person consult with you and help you be realistic and just pick one thing. As you say, Tyler, that's slow, right? But boy, we tend to overestimate what we can get done in the short term. We underestimate what we can get done in the long term. If you take one term at a time and make, make another goal, you know, you'll get to that really good course in a few semesters.
1: Yep. And there's there's a bit of patience that you have to uh, provide for yourself. You may not get it the first time around, and you don't stop it just because you didn't get it. You look at why you didn't get it, and you fix it, and then try it again.
2: That's right. That That's, that's exactly right. And, you know, on that note, I am a big advocate in general for... Um, uh, for collegial dialogue, uh, you know, I talked about that, a trusted colleague, an instructional designer is helpful, um, but also um, having students give feedback. Now, there's at least two kinds of things you can do, right? One is if you're trying something new, you actually have like maybe some past students. If you've got like a, a trusted student or somebody who's really close demographically to your target students, would you read, you know, these instructions or would you, you try... This activity, you know, yeah. I'll buy you a cup of coffee, really. Would you just try it out and, and see if it makes sense to you? Or can you see, you know, does it you try it. What do you what do you get? You know, and, yeah. and 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 you see. So that's you don't have to try it on on real live students in a class. Yeah. Or you try it, you know, on your students in class and ask for honest, anonymous feedback. Yeah. You know, I'm a big believer in that and be willing to make little adjustments along the way. Don't just you know, you get lamb blasted the first time you ask, who thought this was a good idea? You can't just throw it all out, right? You got to go, okay, I hear that. There are concerns. I might need to step back, you know, away from that a little bit. I might need to think twice. I'm a big believer in, in, in hearing what's working and what's not and making little adjustments and not, yeah. and not roasting yourself over the fire, you know, not, yeah. not beating yourself up and, you know, just make little adjustments.
3: I really love that idea because it makes the whole thing tangible. It makes it makes your improvements seem tangible you know it, it feels tangible and and um like something that you can accept you know taking the feedback in sometimes feedback is hard but you can take that and just figure out a path of how i'm going to work it out and that i think sometimes we don't think of it that way if if we're thinking i have to improve my course we're thinking this big huge thing i have to build the course i have to improve the course but We've kind of been talking uh, as a team about, you know, meta courses and, um, you know, just kind of, you know, improving along the way. So if you if you take a little bit each time, you know, this time I'm going to improve this part of my assessments. Next time I'm going to work on my instructional videos. Then, like you said, by the time you get a couple semesters down the road, you have this amazing thing that you've built. (laughs) Yeah, I love it.
2: And maybe even, you know, some, some evidence, some data of some sort, qualitative, quantitative, or whatever, that, yeah. that indicates that it's working. Not yeah. just your own perception. I mean, you know, sometimes our perceptions are okay. Sometimes they're a bit skewed, though. Right? Uh, cause either you're your own worst critic or, 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 you know, you think you're wonderful. <laughs> you know? You can't imagine that you're not you know whichever you know which, whichever, but if you have some sort of some sort of um uh evidence based you know uh, that helps and again, that's where a trusted colleague can come in you know even even if a, a such a person had not been a part of the process before, you know I set out this goal here's what I tried here's the results I got, and then I asked for feedback, and here's what I got. And I'm just trying to think about what to do next. What do you think? You know, if you lay that out with a trusted colleague, that that's continuous improvement, and that's healthy.
1: All right, Kelvin, I want to thank you again for joining us. You, I have watched you guys the way that you all behave for a long time, way, way back. And your willingness to share uh, what you know is impressive. And that's, that's the direction that, that this team is trying to go. We're creating a website, this podcast, we've, mm-hmm. and it's all to be outward facing so that mm-hmm. somebody can come along and learn from our experience. Yeah. So thank you. We, we really do appreciate it. And I don't know, somewhere down the line, we may uh, call you back and see if we can pick your brain some more.
2: Well, uh, you're quite welcome and uh, I think that's noble work. I I generally believe that we are better together, you know, within our teams, within our institutions and within our field. So I commend you for that And, and yeah, I'd be happy to come back anytime.
1: Excellent, excellent.